0: Well, I want to tell you, God's plan of redemption of, you know, the salvation message, I mean, we were just saying about that wonderful grace that God gives believers in Jesus Christ. I I want to tell you something, though. That message of redemption is bittersweet. God's plan of redemption, God's plan of salvation is bittersweet. On the one hand, We have eternal life, heaven, eternity. I mean, forever and ever. We we become part of the family of God. There's an eternal glory that is waiting for us. But on the other hand, the bitterness is the reality that for some it means eternal damnation, eternal shame, eternal punishment. That is the message of redemption, of salvation. To put our faith, our trust, to accept God's grace and mercy through his cross into our lives, to accept that is glory. To reject it is pain and suffering. The high point, the apex, is Christ redeeming the lost sinners to eternal glory. But the low point is, is Christ condemning lost sinners to eternal shame. And to truly understand God's plan of redemption, you've got to understand both sides of those coins. Because people every single day are dying. And those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins, those people who put their faith and trust in him are finding glory. But those who ignore it, those who put it off, those who outright reject the gospel in Christ or don't even bother to check it out, people every day are dying to eternal punishment. And I wish that that situation was different. I mean, in my own personal life, it grieves me that many of my family members many of my friends really nice people some are religious people but many of them that I have if they were to die today in the state that they are in they would spend an eternity separated from God in punishment this is the truth and unless we as believers, unless we grasp and accept that reality, we're going to lose our urgency to tell others about Christ. That neighbor, that family person that we have that opportunity to open up and step out in boldness and tell them about a saving grace. We're going to lose our need to speak truth to people's lives. In First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, But it says, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. That's what we are, Christians. We have been entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God who examines the hearts. And we're going to be continuing in 1 Thessalonians. We're going to actually get to chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. We're going to see this great contrast between those who are redeemed and blessed and those who are condemned and living under a curse. I need to tell you, ahead of time, it was, it was my intention when I went to these four verses and to kind of cover them together side by side, the blessed and the cursed, and, and kind of show the contrast, and, and, I, and I got so into the blessed... Uh, that I got to the end and I thought, well, uh, can I add another 20, 25 minutes onto this sermon and people not run me out of town? Nope, can't. So we're going to do those who are cursed in a few weeks. But this week we want to look at those who are blessed. We want to start with the redeemed of Jesus Christ. I want to talk about you. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're a child of his, and I'm going to invite you to stand together with me, if you will, as we read the word of God. We're beginning 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and verse 13, and we'll just go down to verse 16. He says, For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you have heard from us, that you accepted it, not as the words of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ that are in Judea. For you also endured the same suffering at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they might be saved. With the result that they... all. They always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Maybe may be seated. So let's start with the redeemed of Jesus Christ. Verse, verse 13, our first verse we looked at, I love what it says in the beginning. Paul says, for this reason, we also constantly thank God. And I want to stop there. For this reason, Paul is coming to him. He's thinking about this church. And as he's thinking about them, he just, he says, I have some things to be, I, I just want to praise God for you as a church. And Paul is about to share with us three things that he is thankful for concerning these believers in Jesus Christ. And in so doing, he is going to give us the first half of redemption's reality. Some of the things that as, as Christians we should know and that we should be participating in. So the first part of re- redemption, the first thing he says is they received the bible they received the bible as god's word when paul gave them the word of god it says in verse 13 there for this reason we also constantly thank god that when you received the word of god which you heard from us you accepted it not as the word of men but for what it really is the word of god which also performs its work in you who believe they received the words, the inspired word of God, as being God's word. When Paul gave them the word of God, they didn't accept that word because Paul was such an important person. Wow, he's got such a pedigree. You know, he's so important in the church. You know, when when he speaks, when Paul speaks, we should really listen to him. They didn't listen to the word of God because Paul was such a good speaker. He has such a way of presenting the truth and he has these cool illustrations and, and he weaves humor in and out of it and he just has this way of of keeping our attention and, and and because of it, you know, we're gonna receive that word. You see, part of the redemptive process is receiving this truth that you have here as being from God. And Paul saw himself as being nothing more than a vessel that God was using to give the word out he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7 he says but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves I mean we have this this great message it's not about us it's about God and it needs to be known that this is the word of God it's not the word of man the truth of God's word is not determined by my cleverness or my communication ability. That doesn't make God's word true, that I have a, a, a way of presenting it or a, I can keep your attention or I'm humorous or whatever it might be. That has no bearing whatsoever on the truth of this word. This word is true because it is the word of God. And listening and obeying to it doesn't rest on my ability yeah, I didn't get anything out of the message, you know, the pastor, whatever. We don't get anything out of the message. The message is God's word. This is the word of God, you know, spoken to us. I remember years ago, actually, boy, well, a lot of years ago, probably 30 years ago, I was at a small pastor's conference. There were about 70, 80 pastors there together. And we had two speakers that were speaking in the morning. And the first speaker spoke, and he was pretty straightforward. You know, I mean, he had good message, and, you know, he kind of laid it out there and broke the scripture down and, and, and put it, you know, together, helped us to understand some of the cultural things, and, and he presented the word of God. Then we had a little break, and then we had a second speaker. And, and this speaker, man, he was animated. <laughs> I got to tell you, he had some great stories. I can still remember some of his illustrations. He was humorous. I mean, he—he, he, uh, the whole congregation, you could tell, was was truly engaged. But a few days later, it was kind of interesting. I was trying to think back to the conference, and I could remember what the first speaker spoke about, the Word of God, the, the truth that he gave. And I thought, I can't remember what the second speaker spoke. I remembered some of his jokes and some of his illustrations because I was going to steal them and use them later on in, in a sermon or something. But... I, I couldn't remember what the truth was that he was trying to get out there, and again, I, I'm saying this: I am not knocking anyone's style. But what I am saying is, it doesn't enhance God's word; it doesn't make it more God's word, if, if it's full of humorous stories or illustrations or put together, you know, in a, in a better way. Folks, John three sixteen, spoken by a pastor of ten thousand people, is just as true. When it is spoken by a pastor of 10 people, because it is John 3:16. And because God has said it, it has nothing to do with the messenger. We are earthen vessels. You are an earthen vessel that God has, has given this tremendous message to, and it is the Word of God. God's word is God's word. And to deny it to say, well, you know, you know this isn't God's word, it doesn't make it so. People who do that, it's like it's like you know denying gravity. You know, I've been denying gravity my whole life, and you know, I'm I'm fine. Nothing's happened to me. But you know, folks fall out of a tree. You may deny gravity, but you're going to be still under its grasps. And this is the truth. You can deny it all you want, but it is still the word of God. And we are still His creation, and we are still all under His grasps. And so, like this church, which Paul was so thankful for, because. They receive the word as being from God. So we need to, when we go to the Bible, you know, hopefully, prayerfully, you get up in the morning and you've set aside that time to start your day out in the word of God and, and whatever amount that is, when you're opening this book up, you know, are you realizing that God is talking to you, that this is God? This is his revelation. This isn't the words of men about God. This is the word of God about himself and what he is doing and what his great plan is. You know, that's the first step of of, of coming to this book, this truth, and recognizing that this is God's word. But equally as important as that, he went on and said, in verse 13, he said, you saw it as God's word, and and then you accepted it. You accepted it. You know, so when you read this, you know, when you go to your ABF class or your Sunday school class or the message, are you looking to accept what it says? Or, you know, is, well, the pastor didn't convince me enough. Are you, are you, are you seeing this as God's word and say, I, I'm not here to, you know, say, well, am I going to accept it or not? This is God's word, and I accept it. I mean, Paul thanked them that they believed it is God's word, they they received His God's word, and they accepted it into their life. You know, and I love the last part of verse, 14, verse 13, it says that it would perform its work in you. So what does it mean to accept that word as being from God? It means you're going to allow the word of God to perform its work in you. You know, give yourself to this truth, and and, and I know we are falling creatures, and we're, we're struggling, and we struggle with ourselves, and we struggle with sin, but but do we even have that desire that what I am reading here, what I am hearing in my Sunday school classes or in my devotions, that I want to I perform it. I, wanna, I want it to see its work in me, you know, see, see its results. God's word can't be treated just like another one of the many voices that you have in your life. When I open up God's word, I need the right attitude. You know, if you don't have the right attitude that this is God's word and and I'm looking at it to change my life and to see, you know, what's it telling me today I need to do, if I'm not looking at it like that, you know, it's going to go right in one ear and out the other. Or worse yet, we're going to, you know, use it to deflect to others. Oh, yeah, I wish so and so heard this. Boy, so and so needs to hear this verse. Are we reading it for ourselves, for what God's saying to us? God's word performs its work in believers' lives. And that's what he wants his word to perform in you. There are so many things that God's word does in our life, that, that truth. Let me give you just a couple. I'm going to rattle off a whole bunch of scripture here. 1 Peter chap- chapter 1, verse 23 says, For you have been born again... Not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. We have been born again. Our salvation is tied to the truth of the message that has been given in the Word of God. That's a performing its work in us, that a person would hear it and, and give their life, their heart to Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter eleven twenty eight, 28, it talks about how God's Word blesses us. It says, But he said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the Word of God. And Observe it so for God's word to perform its works in you, it means you got to hear it and, and you go and you obey it. And He said you're gonna be blessed when you do that. In 2nd Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it talks about God's word is teaching and correcting and training us. It says, All scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for, for training in righteousness. Psalm 119:105 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. You feel lost sometimes, you know, you're, where you're going in life. Go to God's word. It's a light to your, to your path. It gives that guidance. In Psalm 119:154, 154, it says, plead my cause and redeem me, revive me according to your word. You know, God's Word has this reviving power that the truth of these words, you know, they, they just cut into our heart. I mean, that's what it said in Hebrews 4.12. It says, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our heart. I mean, God's Word, it just it gets past all of my fluff. It's all of my facades that I put up. And God's word goes deep within me, and I might be able to fool everybody around me, but God, I can't fool God's word. God's word speaks deep down into my heart, you know, and and, and it, it judges us. It's helped us to evaluate our life so much more that God's word does. And that's the word of God performing itself in our life. And so, so Paul has this tremendous thankfulness that this church, these believers, they were accepting the word as from God. And, and they, were, they were obedient to the word. There's a second thing that Paul was thankful for in their redemptive story that, of these, these Christians. It comes to us in verse 14. It says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same suffering at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did the Jews." What an interesting word. This church, they became imitators. Imitators of, it says, of the churches in Judea. They began to model and to live and to change their life, to live out a Christ-likeness, similar to others who were modeling it. And and if you follow what it says, it talks about you you became imitators of the churches in Judea. Well, we we know that's in in the area of, of, of Israel, and so he's talking about that. That's where the church was born. That's where the first believers came. You know, in the Jerusalem area. So these churches suffered at the hands of the Jews, and they said, and just like them, you are you're suffering at the hand of your own countrymen. They weren't the Jews. They were the Gentiles, that they are suffering at the hand. But you are know, you imitators. You're 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 coming along. You're you're taking on a, a, a Christ likeness in your life. You know, your redemption is making a difference in how you live. And the fact that they wanted to have their lives changed, you know, for Christ to change their life, they wanted to become more Christ-like. They wanted their lives to pattern a a godliness. And friends, that's all about attitude. That's all about desire. You know, that doesn't happen unless you want it. That doesn't happen unless you can set your heart on it. That that's something you, become, you begin to pray about, that you begin to pursue, that you begin to seek. You know, it doesn't just hey, I became a Christian and suddenly this Christ-likeness comes upon me. True redemption is followed by a desire to be a disciple. To be an imitator of Jesus Christ. That's what true salvation is. Now, I want you to consider this for a moment. And, and think about how you are engaging Christ in your own faith right now, in your, in your daily walk with Christ. You know, we're not going to have any show of hands here, but I just want you to think, day in and day out, week in and week out, you know, how where, where is your faith playing in your life? Are we being purposeful, desiring to be Christ-like, desiring to at work, at home, you know, in in, in our moral lives, in our emotions? Are we desiring to be Christ like that? That isn't saying we're not going to fail, but if you don't have the desire, I mean, that's what we're talking about here, to be an imitator. Are we being purposeful, pursuing discipleship, being an imitators of Christ? Or or maybe you're looking at your your faith right now, and you're just kind of bouncing along in your faith. You know, a little bit here, a little bit there. You know, plug in here, plug in there. You know, plug in, plug out, unplug. I mean, which, which camp do you would you say you fall the closest to? You know, in those two descriptions. Paul was thankful that they were imitators. That they, they wanted a Christ-likeness. And so Paul thanked God. He thanked God that they received God's word as God's word. He thanked God that they desired to be disciples. They desired to be an imitator of Christ. And finally, in that same verse, he thanked God that they stood amidst opposition to their faith. They believed the right thing, you might say. They followed the right thing. And then they stood upon the right thing. They stood firm. And that's our third thing he was thankful for in their redemption story that they stood amidst persecution again verse 14 for you brethren became imitators of the churches of god in christ jesus that are in judea for you also endured the same suffering at the hands of our own countrymen even as they did from the jews they stood amidst persecution and we're not going to take the time here but if you want to hear what he's talking about here, that he's referencing this persecution, go to Acts chapter 17 sometime and read it. You know, you, you'll read of the type of persecution that they were going through. You know, how, how the gospel was being accepted and, and, and those who saw, you know, Paul preaching and people following the word of God, they became jealous. You know, jealous of those who were converting to Christianity. So jealous that riots began to break out in the city. I mean, violence in the city. That's what he was referring to back in chapter 1 where he said in verse 6, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Much tribulation. There was a lot of persecution. It wasn't popular to be a Christian. And opposition to their faith didn't cause them to shrink away from God's truth. You know, everyone didn't have to agree with them. Everyone didn't have to like them for them to stand faithful. And as a Christian, there is a simple truth that that we need to grasp here. Um, Maybe I'll I'll preface it with, with Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Remember Christ's teaching there. And he says in Matthew 7, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few that find it. So let me give you a reality for your life. If you are a Christian, the reality is that true faith is always going to be in a small percentage. He says, few there be that truly find it. So as a Christian, don't be looking for a flood of support from your faith for your faith, from those who are around you. Don't look for a flood of encouragement from people at work when they, you know, hear you're a Christian or that you go to church or you know you believe in Christ. You know, few there be that find it. And, and, and let me add something here. You don't have to be long in your faith to be spiritual. It, one interesting thing about, at the time that this letter was written, that Paul wrote this letter back to the church at Thessalonica, he had only been gone for probably a year in the time that they came and that they, they preached and that the word, was, the word was accepted and the church was formed there. So we're, this church is probably less than a year old. These believers, by our standards, we would say, these believers were babes in Jesus Christ. And yet, they accepted the word as God's word. They went to God's word and they applied it and and they desired to be an imitator of Jesus Christ. And regardless of what anyone was saying, regardless of what anyone was doing, if they were the only ones standing, these young believers, they stood for Jesus Christ. And a person can, can be saved for one second and be spiritual, just like a person who's been saved for 50 years can be f- very fleshly. Here is a church a new believers standing firm in their faith, regardless of the trials. And in verse 14, it talks about those trials. It says, you endured the same suffering. I know it's talking about the same suffering as the churches in Judea, but I just want to focus on that term. The same suffering. In other words, they weren't the first to suffer for their faith. And they aren't going to be the last to suffer for their faith. And our perseverance, our faithfulness, during trying times is one of the redemptive realities that we are going to suffer for our faith. It's going to cost us something. If it's not costing us anything, then, you know, there's there's a reason that Satan's ignoring us. If we are truly living for Christ, it is going to cost us something on this side of eternity. John chapter 15, verse 20 says, Remember the word that I said to you, A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Philippians chapter 29, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Isn't that beautiful? That's part of the redemptive story. That not only have you been saved and become a child of God, but with that, he says, I give you the honor and the privilege to suffer for my name, for who I am. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. I mean, that's in combat to that, oh, my goodness, bad things are happening to me. God doesn't love me. I must be doing something wrong. I need to change course. No. You know, don't, don't be surprised when these, these trials, these ordeals come into your life. You know, as though, you know, I thought if God loves you, everything's perfect you know i'm not going to have any problems second timothy 3:12 says indeed all who desire to live godly in christ will be persecuted with that desire to be an imitator of jesus christ is going to come persecution and suffering comes in all forms you know we think about persecution and you know we just think about being arrested for our faith or being killed for our faith, or tortured, or whatever it be. And, and, and those are horrible. Those are, man. I mean, those are, those are images we can't get out of our mind. But folks, persecution has many faces. As a Christian, whatever it is right now going on in your life, I want to tell you, Satan wants to use that to tear your faith down, to persecute you, to bring you down in your faith. He hates believers in Jesus Christ. He'll use that financial struggle that you're going through right now as a form of persecution to try to diminish your faith. Whatever emotional turmoil, whenever you go through it, Satan wants to come alongside and use that turmoil to to tear you away from your faith. Whatever rejection you might be feeling right now, Satan wants to be that still small voice in your ear telling you that God doesn't love you, that God doesn't care for you. If he loved you, why would this be happening to you? If physical sickness is coming into your life or into your family's life, Satan wants to use that as a form of persecution. And that's what persecution is. Persecution is suffering. And Satan wants to bring that suffering and use it to pull you away from Christ. Whatever relationship struggles that you are having, Satan wants to use all of these things to keep us from our Savior. Because just as God is using those things to draw you to himself, Satan wants to use them to cast doubt and bitterness, depression, to bring a joylessness in your life. And every single day, every single day, you stand at the crossroads of the trials that you are going through. And you have a choice to make. Am I going to cling to Christ or am I going to give in to Satan? Whatever trial it is, trial, trials that you're going through right now, you're at a crossroads. You're at a point of decision. Am I an imitator of Jesus Christ or do I give in to Satan? I want to close with Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider... That the suffering of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I want you guys to read that together with me, all right? For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's Christ's promise to you. That is God's word to you, that whatever it is, whatever it is, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, and it will not compare to that glory that God has for each and every believer in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, God, what a unbelievable truth, an unbelievable reminder of what our faith is, of of who we are to you, what it means to claim your name. I am humbled. I thank you that you have opened the eyes of my heart to your word, that it is the word of God, not the word of men. I thank you that You want me to be an imitator of you. And I thank you, Father, that you help me to stand through trials in my life. And I pray for each and every but one of us here. Lord, you know where our heart is. You know where we fall in that spectrum. Speak to us as only your your word can. Allow it to, let me allow it to go down to the, the, the depths of my soul, Father. That, Lord, you will bring me to be more like you and your son each and every day. Thank you, Father. We love you. We love your word. And and we are just overcome, Father, with, with thankfulness in our hearts to you for who you are to us. In thy name.
1: stand with us as we close the service out this morning. Be the Lord. me, Jesus.